0: Hey listeners, just wanted to give you a trigger warning for this week's episode. It contains explicit acts of torture of a character. So if you or someone who's listening with you is sensitive to these topics, you may want to give this week a skip. If you or someone you know has been the victim of a human rights violation and is looking for help, Amnesty International has a 24 hour hotline of specially trained individuals to help get you into the right place. Call 1-800-AMNESTY. That's 1-800-266- What's up listeners, it's Andrea. In today's marathon episode, we get the truth on truth serums. Captain Jellico isn't here to make any friends, and we ask the question, was he the right man for the job or not? We want to hear what you think. Welcome to the TNG Podcast,
1: the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host,
0: Sharice. Hey, I'm your traumatized co-host, Andrea. Today we are breaking down Season 6, Episode 11, Chain of Command, Part 2. This episode was written just like last week by Frank Marco and directed by Les Landau. Captain Picard, captured by the Cardassians in an elaborate ruse, is subject to psychological torture to extract information. Meanwhile, Captain Jellico continues negotiating with the Cardassians badly while the crew tries to get, <laughs> get Picard back.
1: I feel It. Like right, added the badly something else. Yeah, me. I did.
0: I did. <laughs>
1: but And I don't know if you're wrong. He does. <laughs> so before we get started with our initial thoughts, um, just like last week, we do have a special guest joining us today. And he has been on, this is the third episode since we're going to count last week. Um, so I want to welcome to the stage, David White. Hello.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me back again after all those horrible things I said last week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've forgiven most of you. So,
0: um <laughs> <laughs> like horrible things. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, so silly. Now. um, so your initial thoughts.
2: Initial thoughts. Even when I first watched this episode back when I was however old I was in my early 20s, probably, I was so excited about David Warner being the the co-star who is our antagonist in this one, Gol Madrid. And he is Picard's torturer. And I'm so, if you hear a level of excitement as we talk about this episode, it is for his ability to bring this character to life and make you hate every fiber of his being.
0: You know, I I will say that the role of Gol Madrid is so terrifying and horrifying. And you mentioned in last week's episode that. You know, at this point, TNG is in season six. They're really well established. They've got this big budget, you know, and they really did spend some money because, oh, my gosh. I mean, David Warner does such a spectacular job um, playing this character and making him in some ways someone that you would think might be a nice person to be friends with, like interesting, charming, smart, uh, interested in like a good debate, you know, and all that stuff. But Mm -hmm. oh, my God, totally terrifying. Now, David Hattersley Warner uh, was an English actor who worked in film and television and theater. He attended the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art after making his stage debut in 1962. He joined the Royal Shakespeare Company. He played Henry Um, The 6th in The Wars of the Roses at West End um, in 1964. Unfortunately, he did pass away just like six months ago in July of 2022 at the time of this recording. Um, Six foot two as well. So tall timber of a man, you know, just perfect to play this like really terrifying role. Yeah. And
1: and as we're saying, goal Madrid, I don't believe this character's name is ever spoken. Um, I actually had yes. to look it up because I was like, Same. I kept writing in my notes, shadowy figure who is a Cardassian, shadowy Cardassian yeah, figure. I wrote and I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, we need a name. And then I Googled it and I was like, okay, they, they clearly, they say the name at some point. I just don't remember it from last week's episode, all the way through to the last second of this week's episode. No one ever mentions this person's name, which is Mm-mm. so powerful because his character has stripped Picard of his identity as we're going to find out. And it's all about yeah. like Picard doesn't have an identity. But in reality, yes. Gold Madrid doesn't have an identity. He's he's a symbol. He's a representation, which is so mm-hmm. nuts. Like this was just, just a beautifully written story as far as storytelling goes and world building goes. The subject matter itself, horrifying. But I think that's what makes it stick, right? I can't imagine having this visceral of a reaction if this was about Data's play or something like that, like something a little more light. Um, yeah. That being said, Let's do some some other initial thoughts. So, David, we heard from you. You're excited about this actor. Andrea, initial thoughts.
0: Um, I'm both dying to see what happens to our beloved captain because at the tail end of last week, he was brought in handcuffed. And they're like, we are going to ask questions and you will answer them. And if we don't like the answers, you die. So I'm really dying to see what happens to him. But at the same time, I'm also dreading watching because I know it's going to be horrible. Even without watching the episode, you just know it's going to be so bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, um, what about you? What are your initial thoughts, Charisse?
1: You know, as as usual, part two on TNG is usually better than part one. And I think this is no exception. I think part two is, is much better than part one. It can't exist without part one. It's not one of those episodes where we're like, oh, we could just make this one and a half or we could just squeeze mm-hmm. this in. You know, this could have been an opening scene. We didn't need that whole episode. We I feel like we needed all of last week's episode to properly set up this week's episode to really help us know the stakes. Usually in this show, we're talking about the whole planet's going to be destroyed unless we get this life-saving vaccine or stop this volcanic eruption or (laughs) get rid of these aliens who are going to destroy them because they want to live there instead of the people who are living there. You know, it's usually this really big global conundrum. And in this case, what we care about is Captain Picard and the fate of Picard could determine whether or not there's a war, which could cost yeah. hundreds, thousands, millions of lives. So it's like, it's got that grand scale, but it's got a human face to war, which I think is is really fascinating. This episode's exciting. It's got so many twists and turns. I, that's that's my biggest memory of this episode is that it's really exciting. It's got a lot of twists and turns. It's really intense. But like at the end, you're like, oh, we made it. Like you do feel mm-hmm. a, a legitimate sense of relief at the end.
2: Well, we were- oh, yeah. When this episode came out, we were deep, still in the middle of the Cold War, and this is what the this is what was sold. Not this episode, but this idea of it's the little bitty strips of information that you can glean from wherever you can get them yeah. that will make the big difference. You know, loose lips sink ships is is yeah. the way World War Two and and after and before. But that was the whole idea of these little pieces of information that he's trying to get out of Picard, as we see, and the way they're trying to manipulate the Cardassians back on the Enterprise. This is the whole premise of fighting a war before you have to fire a gun.
1: Mm-hmm. Of like the so, secret underbelly side. This exactly. is not that we are both, we both have our guns drawn. We're both on the front line, actively shooting at each other. This is the sneaky, sneaky stuff. Right to try and because- to maybe prevent that. Others. This is other
0: the sides. this is like the dark ops, right? Kind of stuff, and this is where people will say and have said for years that this is where wars are won, and not quite at the front lines. But one of the things that I want to start with right off at the top is torture has been found and proven many, many, many times to be completely non-effective use of getting information because after a while, torture victims will tell you whatever. They you want to hear so that the torture will stop, right? Yeah, like Which, they'll make why, stuff wouldn't up? why wouldn't they, you? Why would not they'll mm-hmm. just exactly. tell you anything? Yes, yes, there were ten of us, and yes, we have all these plans, and yeah, okay, there it is, you know. And information gleaned under torture is always held in very dubious. Um, yeah, like you can't trust it. V- like view, yeah, because you can't trust the information, and even Picard says that at one point. Now let's let's just jump right in because oh my gosh, there's so much that happens. Goldmadred, who's the torturer, begins by asking Picard simple questions that he already knows that Madred already knows the answer to. What is your mother's mother's name? What is your father's name? What's your place of birth? This is information that Gold Madred told Picard that he knew at the end of last week's episode. So he's like testing how much Picard will give him. Yes. Yeah. So, th- he's and like, yeah
2: like- so you saw m- you saw my Facebook page. So what?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who hasn't? Who
1: hasn't really?
0: But yeah, yeah. this is like the lie
1: detector standardi- standardizing questions here. This yes. is like, what's your name? Where, are you, where do, you, do you live here? Like all those questions just to get a baseline of truth. And mm-hmm. we see that Picard's answering these questions, but he's answering them kind of strangely. Like there's something wrong yeah. with his face. He's not really emoting, but he's answering every single question that gold Madrid poses to him
0: no oh yeah I mean he gives up Beverly he gives up Wharf, he gives up the mission all under the influence of this serum which gold Madrid says excellent keep the serum at this level it's like so you guys have given him some sort of truth drug to make him yeah
1: speak. which I I haven't looked at the background of this but according to tv True serums are also not super duper reliable. But what what have you found in your actual research?
0: So there were two names that popped into my brain as soon as you said, keep the serum at this level. One, I thought of scopolamine and the second was sodium pentothal. Currently, you can still get scopolamine as like a patch for like nausea, dizziness, vomiting, kind of like for car sickness, motion Mm -hmm. sickness, stuff like that, or like um, post-surgery nausea and dizziness, stuff like that. But it was kind of discovered back in 1903 and used extremely frequently up until 1922 as the true serum of choice um, because it also wipes a subject's memory clean so they know nothing about the, what they said after waking up. This drug comes from the seed of a tree, which locals call the get you drunk tree, which I thought is pretty funny. It's like very, it's a pharmacologically based, like from a living thing. Mm-hmm. When when this doctor who kind of discovered, um, his name was Dr. House, like as in the show House MD, yeah. but
1: uh-huh. a but real doctor named
0: Okay, yeah. Got it. A real doctor named Dr. House, when he administered the scopolamine, patients would fall into what he called a twilight sleep, which was mm-hmm. a state at which they would automatically deliver information. And after numerous experiments, he concluded that they could easily force the truth from his patients through the use of scopolamine. Now, sodium pentothal was used extensively during World War II because it slowed your heart rate and your breathing. So it allowed your body to just sort of fall into this deep, relaxed state. Mm -hmm. So this was actually um, used in like counseling and therapy to allow World War II soldiers to completely relax and talk about their traumatic experiences without the trauma response that normally Mm -hmm. comes with it Mm -hmm. as a way of sort of bleeding it out and being able to kind of process it. And then – uh, rumors speak of the most effective truth drug, codenamed SP17, which was used by the KGB in interrogations and to periodically confirm their agent's loyalty. It's super effective because it lacks a scent and taste. So you can add it into somebody's drink or food and they wouldn't know. Um, it has the ability to loosen tongues and to erase all of the victim's memories during the time of the interrogation. And because of this, like all of these drugs, Um, These drugs have never been officially, in air quotes, proven to be completely effective. They are commonly used still in many parts of the world, but truth-inducing drugs are considered unconstitutional and unethical under international law and are classified as a form of torture like around the world, which is interesting. But there were even cases of SP-17 and scopolamine and sodium pentothal being used, like in the mid 2000s, like 2010, 2015, in certain parts of the world to get um, information about bombers that were like terrorizing mm-hmm. local villages and stuff like that. So I just found all of that so fascinating.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like a good idea, right? Like all we have to do is give this, a, give them this little injection or have them drink the sip of water that's a little bit spiked. And then mm-hmm. suddenly all the information we need will come spilling out. Like it sounds like a good plan. But if it was so bulletproof effective, we would only use that. Like we yes. wouldn't need all that We rest would be using
0: that in like uh, trials and in all kinds of stuff, loads. right?
1: Yeah, we would be losing, using it in trials. We'd be using it in domestic disputes. We'd be using it in arguments with our spouses. We'd be like, okay, mm-hmm. we're both going to sip this drink. And then we're going to say what really happened, <laughs> right? Like yeah. we'd be using it all the time. We'd be popping that stuff like Tic Tacs. So I feel like <laughs> even though it's being used, it, there's something about it that's still not super duper effective and the yes. fact that it that a lot of countries uh, as you have said consider just the use of it alone as torture that is super interesting because they're yeah. not being beaten or starved or waterboarded
0: but if you're they're, being drugged you're yeah, being you're... drugged and your memory is being wiped of what you said or did so the feeling of violation would be extreme and like in my experience i i, I would be totally traumatized by that i think
2: And I'm thinking this is, this is, please cut this out if you'd like, you know, that's how you get roofied. They put it in there. And then, then the guy's like, let's talk about, let's, let's quit talking about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly like scopolamine when I have heard of it is always Mm -hmm. it being used as a roofie. That's where Uh I've heard of scopolamine Mm -hmm. being used the most is, you know, slipping into people's drinks. And, um. You know, but that's to make people more pliable, not necessarily to get the truth out of them. That's to make yes. them more malleable to do what you want. In this case, it's being used to get the truth out, and I feel like yeah, just like if this was super effective, it wouldn't be so illegal. Like we'd be using it yes. all the time. So I don't oh, 100%. know. Oh, one hundred percent. It starts out with us seeing Picard's being drugged. So this kind of like stage one on the torture train, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh boy. <laughs> Right. Cause
0: we know that I'd it like a to get off the to torture train. Yeah. Let's,
1: let's get off, but we can't cause
0: it's torture. Stage one is a stage too far. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So at the end of this, like, what's your name? What's your mom's name? All of this. Um, Gold Madrid says, what are the Federation's plans for Minos Corva tell me right now, you know, it gets all aggressive and Picard's It's like, I don't know. And they're like, he's like, increase the serum dosage. And you're like, all right. But at some point, probably whatever this true serum is, it's going to stop his heart. Or something crazy. Like, I feel like these drugs always have some crazy effect where it kills yeah. the person. Yep. If you use a drop too much. And if you, if it was so effective that he just told you all the truth right now, why do you think giving him more is going to make him more truthful? Like, it's, he doesn't know. He just doesn't know. And I feel like to your point, Andrea, of um, whatever answer he gets is probably going to be the wrong answer in this scenario. It's like, even he... Um, Gold Madrid is not gonna take I don't know as an answer, even though it's true. Mm-hmm. He's he's going to torture him
0: yes. regardless. And that's what and that's what torturers do, you know, where even if you get all the information you can out of a person and they genuinely do not know, you know, the answer to some question you're asking, they will just keep pushing and pushing because as David said last week very aptly, these episodes are about control. So if you yeah, not the truth, if you accept That like, okay, Picard really doesn't know. Let's throw him like in the brig for a little bit and we'll ask him again later. You can't do that because that is giving up some sort, at least the illusion of control. You know what I mean? It's like, tell me more, tell me more, right? And and we don't stop until I say we stop. Picard does not dictate the rules of when this stops. So it's just painful to watch. And Patrick Stewart, oh my gosh. I mean, even just that sort of drugged state. So masterfully done. Masterfully done.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to watch. And again, you know, we've is. been doing this podcast for like 35 minutes at this point. And in the show, we're we're like, haven't even hit the commercial break. This is like the first minute and then it, we see that Picard's being drugged and then it hits the commercial break, which is again, another big bum, 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 because you're like, oh my gosh, he's being drugged. Like, yeah, he doesn't know the plans to mean What is What is mean? What are we even talking about? Like, we yeah. don't know what's going on. We jump back to the enterprise and Captain Jellicoe is the one making the logs as the captain, which is fair, but also weird. And yep. so he's saying like the negotiations have made little progress, and no one in this room is surprised. Mm-mm.
0: Um when we I come- mean, it's not just because the Cardassians are not willing to play ball, buddy. <laughs> like it takes two to negotiate. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're yeah, exactly. But we see the um we see them back in the observation lounge. We see Golomek and his two aides, and we see Jellico and Riker and Troy, and they are still trying to negotiate. And now we find out that Golomek is holding all the cards.
0: Oh right? my and, gosh! And he
1: says, you know, because Jellico said something about like you guys are going to try to start something or whatever, and Golomek is like, wait a minute, we have captured Picard, um, and we have evidence that Picard, Beverly, and Worf. Have killed over 55 Cardassian men, women, and children running through this planet. So, you know, you guys are the ones who started something, which means now that we're, provocated, we're, we're provoked, we have to have some kind of really strong response. And he's like, But I'm going to take a minute to think about what that response is going to be. And then he storms out, and Riker and Troy are like, what? Because at this point they have no idea what Picard and Beverly and Worf were doing. Because it was a super secret, top secret mission. So they're just like, "Oh my gosh, is this true? Do they re- Do they have Picard? Is- Are they going to kill him?" Like they're freaking out, and so they storm off. And you just see Riker and Troy like terrified, right? And yeah. with I think rightfully so,
0: a hundred percent. But I do love how. What Golemek is doing is taking some truth and embellishing, right? He's like, we've captured them. They were doing something and they've killed 55 men, women, and children, which we know is a lie. Mm-hmm. And Riker is like, do you have any proof? And he's like, we have all the proof re- we need, which sounds perfect for the Cardassians because they're like, we can just, you know, we can just create some sort of like ruse that makes, you know, like mm-hmm. alter some sort of footage or whatever we can, you know. Authenticate mm-hmm. some sort of material right. that looks real enough. Yeah, we can, create a, mm-hmm. yeah, we can create a record. Yeah, yes. that looks like they killed fifty-five men, women, and children. You know, um and when Riker goes, it, Riker goes, is he alive? And Golomek just smiles. And as you said last week, when a Cardassian starts smiling at you with their super sharp teeth, you know you are in trouble. Um, and I just thought for Jellico, like out of the frying pan into the fire. How huh, about like, <laughs> you came in here trying to have the upper hand, and you are like seventeen decks below the upper hand right now.
1: Yeah, this is what your bluff got you, but it was worth a shot, I guess. So I then guess. we head back to the torture chamber, and this whole episode is kind of like between—it's flashing between the negotiations and the torture chamber. The negotiations yeah. and the torture chamber. The negotiations are going on, not knowing whether or not Picard's still alive. And Picard is in the torture chamber, not knowing whether or not the Enterprise is okay. So they're just going on two separate tracks. And inside of the chamber, Picard is is demanding to see a neutral representative. And Gol Madrid is like, yes, yes, mm -hmm. we've sent a message out to a neutral party. They're being dispatched right away. Yeah. Worries, And Picard's like, okay, good, good. (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, mm, like knowing how this episode ends, you're like this, I was like, this is kind of weird. I don't remember yeah. him being so nice. I didn't remember him being nice actually at all. So I was watching this and I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. So he's like talking about the artifacts that are on Cardassia and how beautiful they were. And he knows yeah, that the
0: archaeology.
1: He knows that Picard's into archaeology. So he's like bonding with him on this really human level. And this is what I think makes him such a great character that's been mm-hmm. created in this role because he is extremely personable. He took the time to get to know what Picard actually likes and cares about. He's talking to him as if, as if we're all buddies, you know? And so Picard's like, okay, like, well, what happened to all those artifacts? And then Gold Madrid tells his story about the wars and him growing up as a kid in this war-torn mm-hmm. planet and how he was like, they were plundered. Like at, a few of them made their way to a, to some museums, but even those eventually were also Sold off because everyone was starving. Kids were starving in the streets. Nobody had anything. And we didn't have time. We didn't have the ability to sit and just think about how pretty our artifacts are. We had to figure out how to survive. And Picard says, so the war was so bad that everybody was starving to death. And you are risking war again by capturing me. Um, This doesn't make any sense, right? Like, this, this doesn't make any sense to and, and he says I just want to go back to my ship <laughs> to which and you're like yeah he does seem like a friend but he's not going to let you go buddy so goldfeder <laughs> responds and he just goes let me remind you you're a criminal and you have to at least stand trial and be punished and you're just like eek like this is that like i don't know something about this clearly dangerous person oh, coming yeah. like coming at you like a friend feels way more scary to me than if he was just yelling and screaming and you know punching him or whatever this is so much more tricky because it's like the mental
0: yes it's it is there is psychological and physical abuse that's happening and that's what makes gold madrid such a terrifying character because he's a chameleon and he can have these like wonderful discussions about archaeology and all of this stuff and he's like would you like to be given a tour of like the ancient burial vaults and stuff and he's like what i would like to do is be returned to the enterprise and he's like no, no no, you've been apprehended you'll be tried and punished and it'll be very public and that's what makes him such a slithery scary character because if he was one note and just came in and was like angry and brandishing a whip and stuff it's like okay he's the whipper whatever like but Goal Madrid is smart, and that's what makes him terrifying. I think.
2: The, I said at the beginning, just watching these two amazing actors act mm-hmm. at each other and with Ugh. each other and play off of each other—that's what I get out of these episodes. Because otherwise, it's just it's torture to watch the torture. But yeah, but yes, to bring that menace to the table Yes. without threat there's a threat that's just naturally part of the menace you don't mm-hmm. know but you don't know where it's coming from you just know that it's there and yes. so so let's think jaws what that was a big leap let's think nope, Following, we're, they we're, yep. we're <laughs> afraid of the shark that we never see because we know that there's teeth we just don't know where they're coming from that was pretty yeah exactly that one up.
0: and because well i like that word he's slithery like you never know like one minute you know he's a chameleon like one minute he can be very personable very charming very let's engage in an intellectual conversation and the next minute it's like <laughs> we're gonna strip you of all your clothes and hang you from your wrists in this thing all night good night you're like what the ass yeah this dude so that,
1: is so scary and that's, that's what they do exactly what happened they they draw you know he he asked them politely again. Tell me, Picard, what are the Federation's defense strategies from Minos Corva? And Picard's Mm-mm. like, You've drugged me out of my mind. And I told you I didn't know. Yeah. So which I thought was interesting because I assumed, like with any Rufi, that his memory would be erased. So I was like, Oh, he remembers that he was drugged? Interesting. Yeah. So I guess he, it wasn't
0: scopolamine.
1: No, it was some it was some Cardassian drug that was Veritas mm-hmm.
2: serum.
0: <laughs> it was... yeah it's the harry potter one yeah uh, that's the only one i would they have trust Snape
1: anyway working in the dungeon of their ship creating <laughs> all of <laughs> the chemicals they need for torture yeah so so um yeah so even so with veritas serum you, you know that you're on it and you know you're going to tell the truth even though you don't want to so picard's like you've drugged me a bunch and you know, I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know under drugs. I It's like a, it's like a Dr. Seuss moment. I don't know here. I don't know there. I don't know anywhere. I don't yeah. know in a boat. I don't know in a moat. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and goal Madrid. You can just tell he's just not having it. Like he really doesn't care actually what, what if Picard knows or not. He is a true psychopath. He's like mm-hmm. in this for the fun of as David pointed fun. out, just controlling someone else, just controlling their life and controlling when they can and can't eat and all those things. Like he cares about that more than he actually cares about the remote possibility that he might potentially get some tainted information out of Picard. He doesn't care about that. So no. he stands up and then he's like, all right. And it's two guards come in and they and they pull this, this thing out of the ceiling and Picard starts getting freaked out. And he's like, Torture is forbidden. It's forbidden by the treaty of such and such. You can't do this. Goldman Sachs doesn't care about any of that, man. Because the thing is, this is like Gitmo right here. The thing is, if he's been kidnapped during a secret mission that Starfleet says never happened, and they think he's dead, they could torture him for the rest of his life and nobody will know. So it doesn't matter what the treaties say. He has no more laws. He has no more this rights. This is
0: Black Ops. This is psyops. We are off the grid and we are off the record here. And yes... Torture is expressly forbidden by the Geneva Convention, by like a whole bunch of stuff since forever ago, and every country in the world does it, including ours. Like every country in the world does it, and it's horrific. And I actually spent a bunch of time today thinking about that because of the like trauma of this episode, And, and even watching this episode can be very, very difficult and disturbing to watch, but every country in the world who has some sort of government that's always, you know, got some sort of spy network looking information on others or whatever. They all have black ops sites where you just disappear and you're never heard from again and all of that. Like, yes, it is expressly forbidden. And yes, people still do it. And it's fucking awful. It is the worst part of humanity. It really is, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. yeah,
1: I agree. And that's what- hurting each Madrid- other
0: for the pleasure of it is disgraceful and disgusting.
1: Yeah, and that's yeah. what Gold Madrid is, is like the poster child of and doing it in this really psychological way, right? He's not just like, ha, 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 I like to squash bugs and kill small animals like or something where you're like, okay, this guy's unhinged. He actually seems totally normal. That's way scarier. He's just like functioning in society like normal person and then turns around. And As a pulls, high-paying
0: job. He yet?
1: pulls this where he hangs Picard up and he goes, you know what? From now on, you're stripped of your identity, We Mm -hmm. will just call you human. You will no longer have a name. You will not have a rank. You won't have any of the privileges that a a human being would have, basically. Mm -hmm. And he takes this sharp, scary-looking knife and cuts Picard's clothes off. And they hang him butt-naked from some chain in the ceiling. And he's just like, peace out, and walks out in this cold metal room. And I was actually, I really, as awful as this is, I really appreciate the shots that they have of, like, Picard or his stunt double, whatever, being Mm -hmm. butt-naked. Like, I feel like it was really artful the way that they showed. These yes, they, like, they showed, they showed,
0: yeah, like they showed like his rear end was like in dark shadow. So you couldn't yeah. really see, but just enough that you could see the outline. Like he wasn't. They, right. So they stripped like graphic, him of his clothes. Yeah. It,
1: yeah. It wasn't graphic and it wasn't like, it definitely wasn't sexy, but it was enough for you no. to say like, oh, dang, like how, how serious this is. Like he had, he doesn't have anything. They didn't let him wear his underwear, some socks, nothing. Like they took I, every inch of everything from this person.
0: As a cold person, I was like, I would be freezing immediately. (laughs) That was my first thought. But yeah, it's just... This episode... You know, you guys have heard of word clouds. Like, if you you map out every word given by somebody important in a speech, like the word they say the most is the biggest in the word cloud, um, dear God would be the biggest words... (laughs) In my in my word cloud for this, because I just wrote torture stuff happens. Like they stripped him down and hung him from a bracket in the ceiling. Dear God, not Picard. Dear God, no. I was <laughs> just traumatized. And then we find out that Goal Madrid left him there all night like that. So Picard is like half sleeping, half delirious in pain, hanging from your wrist from a metal handcuffs. And the makeup team did such an incredible job because even when they Release him from that bracket. He's got like red, sore, bruised, like wrists and everything. I was like, oh my God. Like, and then even like just hanging from your shoulders, you know, your shoulders can dislocate. It was Mm -hmm. absolutely horrible. It was horrible to watch. While he's being tortured and hung from the ceiling,
1: Riker returns from the rendezvous point. He took a shuttle. He went and got Beverly and Wharf. He was hoping that Picard would be there too, but he wasn't. So he brings them back and we see in sick bay. Beverly's being treated, uh, or maybe she's treating herself because like she can, but whatever. She's in sick bay. And <laughs> um, Angelico's like drilling her, and Riker's there as well. And she just says, like, she tells him what happened, and she says that they had to leave the captive behind. Angelico's like, You made the right choice, which she did. And he, or he said, You made the smart choice. And she said, I don't feel very smart. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, keep a stiff upper lip. And he just like walks out, like Riker, you're with yeah. me. And Riker, um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but he gives her like this, this like gentle pat on her back before he walks out. And I just felt like that was like that was just a really nice touch, director, whoever directed this. Yes. That was a really nice touch of just this less Lando, yeah, yeah. Because because Jellico was like, eh, you did the right thing, so don't even think about it. See you later. And Riker was just like, hey, like, sorry.
0: Yeah, they both gave the like, you're you did great, but Jellico did it in such a like non sterile. I don't know yeah yeah sterile, that's a good sterile one. yeah way. sterile yeah. and cold where it was like you did great bye and just Riker doing that little bit of humanity and that's what Jellico is missing the entire time he's just missing the humanity yeah. of it all and you, you know? know as
1: much crap as I talk about Jellico, I feel like i like Jellico sometimes as a as a worker because I'm so focused on the task and stuff that you I like can be to... but you're but you're very human though it's nice that Andrea agrees with me um on this no, thing I mean, that you i not like, like super
0: you, excited about, about myself. Well, you keep, you keep but saying, focused. you're, you keep saying over and throughout the years. And even in the podcast that you're like data, I think you're actually a Vulcan. You're just very logical, but you also have a lot of humanity and warmth about you. So don't Thank discredit you. yourself. I, I that's my, that. that's my pat on your shoulder.
1: That is a total pat on the shoulder. because you're I do my favorite tra- Vulcan. Like I make an effort <laughs> to be less Vulcan and more human. Like I make an effort to be like, all right, guys, we're starting to meet. Sorry. How was your Christmas? Like I, I yeah. actually do that. Like I stop thinking. How you your do? Mom? You really I stop do at the effort, and I really do care. It's just that I'm so like, we got to get this thing done. And so when I'm seeing Jellicoe just being like, "Great job, Beverly, you did the right thing," and he walks out, I'm just like, <laughs> "Dude, like I would do that, especially, especially in this particular scenario where we're like seconds away from going to full-on war." Yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't think to do like the gentle pat. I'd be like, I'd probably be like, "We're gonna go to war." Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I don't know why I'm doing. Why did they give me this job? They shouldn't have given me this job. That's fine, yeah, what I'm gonna be doing. But in any case, that happens. <laughs> Jellico orders Jordy to like analyze um, the ship that um, Golamek is in, and see if they can figure something out. And analyze Beverly's tricorder and see if she picked up some stuff, or if there's anything that could tell them anything about anything. So they're on the case. And yeah. as he's walking with with Riker towards the turbo lift or wherever he's going, mm. um, he's giving, he's shouting out more, or- he's barking out more orders. He's not shouting, but he's barking out more orders. I want this. I want this. I want this. I want this. Riker's like, yes, yes, yes. And then Riker goes, great, one last thing. Can I start organizing the rescue mission to go and get Picard? And Jellicoe's like, no, Picard's already gone. We're not doing that. And Riker's like, what do you mean he's gone? Shouldn't we assume he's alive until we find proof of proof otherwise? And Jellicoe's like, we should assume he's dead until we find proof otherwise. And we're not going to find that proof because we're not going to look for it because he's dead. Like, he's mm. very much like, he's written off Picard a hundred times over. He probably writ off Beverly, wrote off Beverly and... Worf as well oh yeah I was shocked when they came back um but he's just like not having it he's like no no rescue party all right see you later and hops back in the turbo lift and you're just like I almost expected Riker to be like all right Worf here's what we're gonna do you know what I mean because they've done that in the past
0: this is the question for both of you if you're Riker Angelico says no we're not doing a rescue mission David and Charisse do you still plan and execute a rescue mission
1: no, I would listen to him just because in this case, this isn't just we're on some random hostile planet. Like I would do it on a host- random hostile planet, but this case is so politically charged yeah. that one t- that already they're on the brink of war because Picard's been captured and they have proof of it. That I would not, I would not risk a war. And he and Riker does say I, we shouldn't go to war for one man, but what can yeah. we do? Angelico's like nothing. nothing. Like, he's not even willing to think about it. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't go yeah, against his wishes. It adds
2: it adds fuel to the political fire and if you send another incursion you've you've really yeah. caused a problem.
0: See that's why I would not make a good first officer because I was 100% mount a rescue mission and it would cost millions of people their lives because a war would start. Yeah. And then you'd be and like it, but it was for a good reason guys. Yes and I am <laughs> I really that's what makes Captain. me that's that's what makes me a gryffindor. Because I'll do it because it's the right thing to do. And it doesn't matter if it's not the logical thing to do. It does not matter. It's the principle of the matter. Right. And so that's why I should be um, a
1: middle school teacher and not like nope, military general? Nope, I
0: really, okay. nope, I shouldn't be a middle school teacher, although I am, hilariously, but um, no. A I, party if,
1: planner. Yes. <laughs> I would be the planner. enterprise's
0: social director because that's the kind of shit I love. <laughs> like, also, Keiko and I would work together part-time because I really love botany as well, yes. so, you know. but
1: Dude, I would totally come to a party that you throw on the enterprise any day, every day. That I holodeck would,
0: be, would be banging, girl. It yeah. would be
1: like, nobody would ever want to leave. No, okay? you're a sick program.
2: Well, here's the minute. It you get to do it all by yourself because Keiko and Miles are gone. They've they've <laughs> headed they? over to Deep Space Nine. Oh,
1: that's, oh, true. that's right. We because never even get we talked a we about never that get last goodbye. Episode.
2: Yeah, we talked yeah. about that last episode that they're
1: Goodbye, Keiko. See Chief O'Brien. Goodbye, Miles. We'll see you again never. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm it's uh, actually a me, good it's a good move because they they me, have more of a space to to be on Deep Space Nine.
0: I've heard from countless people that like Chief O'Brien is actually a clutch player in DS9. Really so if is. I were to, if I were to write like a goodbye for them, it'd be like Keiko, you're amazing. I wish we would have had more time to get to know you. Your hair and makeup and costume are killer. You seem like it sounds really like good an ode food. to spot. Yeah, you're.
1: <laughs> it is an it's ode an ode to, to Keiko. Keiko,
0: and then I'd be like,
2: See
1: Miles, you, Miles. <laughs> Miles, we've been working together for many years, and I wish you all the best.
0: <laughs> no, it would be so like goodbye like to Miles. It'd be <laughs> like uh, Miles see you buddy <laughs> i remember when i quit this one job that i had worked at for like 10 years and there was this one guy who was just a super arrogant like turd i couldn't stand him right so like i'd been there for 10 years on my last day and this was like 15 years ago so whatever you but on my last... <laughs> i certainly have not How dare you anyway the... <laughs> Uh, on my last day, the whole company was like, Andrea's leaving. Oh my God. They did this whole like goodbye party, pizza, uh, cupcakes, whatever, whatever. And so I was like, bye, giving everybody hugs. And then this other guy, let's just call him uh, Jack or whatever. I was like, later, Jack. And just turned around and walked out. I didn't give a shit about Jack. Okay? I was like, you have always sucked. But I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to be like, later, dude. But yeah, anyway.
2: (laughs) I'll throw this story in. Feel free to delete. But I was this was a, no, a lo, one of those this was one of those emotional pats on the back that that uh, Riker gave to Beverly i was at a company a long time ago and i was kind of like this new person kind of came in and i'm like i i see parts of them in me because mm-hmm. you know, i cuz there's certain behaviors that i do and things and and my friend kind of just looked at me and was she's like yes but people like you I felt pretty good about that. But. Yeah,
1: I would too. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Doggone the it. People like People you. Like yeah. Me. <laughs> that makes such a difference, David. Oh, my God. So, okay. Okay. Going back to the episode, we were going we were, back to tor- going back from the warm fuzzies to torture. Yes. From the to warm torture. fuzzies to torture. So unfortunate that we have to take this whole lunch back into the episode. But um, yeah, so we find out that Gold Madrid left Picard there all night. They unbuckle him, they unshackle him, and he's kind of like stumbling around. Gold Madrid sits down and he starts sipping water from you know those cone-shaped cups that you get like snow cones in and stuff yeah so he's like it looks like
0: he's got like a thermos with tea or something yeah I don't
1: know it, I was just imagining it's this cold refreshing cup of water and Picard's just like licking his chap parched lips and stuff and gold Lamech's, like you're thirsty aren't you and he's like yeah and he was like I bet you would be and he just keeps drinking you're just like I hate this guy also ah.
0: also he's so delighted too he Picard is salivating or would be salivating if he had any moisture left in his body, right? Mm -hmm. right? But he's been hanging all night in what looks, I mean, that whole chamber is like marble, stone, metal. So it's all cold, 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 probably underground somewhere, right? So it looks, to me, it looks like he would be freezing. So it's probably some like nice hot tea or something, right? And he drinks the tea in front of him just to, with him. And I was like, God, I hate this Cardassian so much. And then begins the all too famous light tr- trick. How many lights do you see behind me? And there were f- there are four lights. So Picard says, four. And he goes, if you notice, since we stripped you of all your clothes, because you're not even a person anymore, like, while you were unconscious one of those times, like, you'll notice there's an incision on your chest. Like, we inserted this, like, microchip that's connected to this, like, radio frequency pad, um, and I can inflict some pain on you. And so he says, how many and lights what, are there? What he
1: says, though, is he's like, I can inflict pain at various levels in any part of your body at yeah. will. So this little yes. incision over his chest could make his foot feel like it's on fire yeah. or his eyeball feel like it's going to burst out or something Ugh. like that, which is just Ooh. like, come on, dude. Like, yeah. you have to, I mean, we, can we go back to breaking fingers? I feel like that's just like, I don't know. It's just so much, you know. Yeah. It's so much. It's like level it's just, thirteen. It's so extra. Out of 10. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's so extra. And so he says, "How many lights do you see?" And Picard says, four. And he goes, "Right," and zaps him. and And oh my god! I mean, in like an absolute triumph of acting, Picard wails and falls to the floor, and is like shaking and gold. It's like he's says, having a seizure. Which yes, I was like, how "Gold." Do, Madrid says, how do you do that? "He says that was the lowest setting." It's like, oh my God. And so he says, How many lights are there? And Picard says four again. And he gets zapped again. I was like, baby, i start saying five right now. But I don't think at this point he knows he's supposed to say
1: five because Gold Madrid is just saying, How many do you see? And he says four. And he goes, How could you be so wrong? And he zapped yeah. And then he goes, How many you're do right, you see? You're right. And he, he goes never four, says and he's there, like you're wrong. He never says five. the number to say. Yeah, he just says, right. I mean, he I'll, says it later, but not right now.
2: I'll disagree and, and say Picard knows exactly. What he's doing, because all he's trying to do is because once you take the first step, you've compromised. And then each compromise after that is a whole lot easier.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's the slow right. fade
2: that we all deal with in life when we compromise our values. So he knows that what he's doing to him. And
0: yeah. And God, I am so. <laughs> this is maybe a funny sounding word, but I'm so proud of Picard in this moment, (laughs) you know what I mean? Which is weird to say, but one of the weird mental exercises I've done from time to time is like, you know, I've watched a lot of military, I've read a ton of military history. It's a passion of mine. And, you know, so you invariably read some accounts of people who are torture survivors and it just makes me wonder. It's like, How would I do under interrogation like that? And Mm -hmm. the people who are always like the loudest, like I'm quite a loud person, are the ones who always think they would do fine. And they're usually the ones that like crumble first. So I'm pretty sure I would just fall to pieces. You know, what I I wouldn't. What I would not do is I would not say four again. I don't know what the right answer is, but I'd be like three, five, nine, like something. Or you'd say how many lights? I don't know how many
1: lights are there. Oh, (laughs) oh, there are seven. How many would you like me to say? Is what I was going to say, too. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had that that same thought watching this episode, like, how would I do in a torture situation? And I, like, didn't even miss a beat. I was just like, yeah, I would fold, like, fresh laundry, like, immediately. (laughs) I would fold immediately. But also knowing myself, if it wasn't a torture situation, but if it was just some kind of power play, power dynamic situation where someone's trying to manipulate me, like, I am very impervious to manipulation in my regular life. Like if someone tries to manipulate me, I will do the opposite out of spite, even if it's a thing I really wanted to do. Right. So it's like I can be extremely stubborn if someone's trying to manipulate me on even ground. Like when there's no like physical danger, like I will be extremely stubborn to the end if I have to be. Mm -hmm. But in this case, there's a lot of physical danger and they will kill you if you don't agree. So this is like where who I am as a person is just like, well, forget that. Like I forget all the stubbornness and all that. I was like, yeah, in this situation, I'd be, how many light, uh, how many lights do you want? You want three? You want two? You want three? There's this meme going around, or there's this little video on TikTok, and and Andrea knows that I've been getting more obsessed with TikTok the more I want to procrastinate from my real job, and um, there's this video that I think is so funny where it like mashes up these two songs, and the first part of the video is a, is lyrics where they say, um, I don't cook, I don't clean. Right. And then they show some other thing happens. And then suddenly the person's going, Yes, I do the cooking. Yes, I do the cleaning. Right. Because that thing changed. (laughs) That's me. Right. Like in normal life, I'd be like, You're trying to tell me what to do. I don't cook. I don't clean. And then when they're like, Or we'll kill you, then I'm like, Yes, I do the cooking. Yes, I do the cleaning. Like whatever you want me to do. Because Uh, I mean, and I realize he can't really get out of this situation, but like maybe he could prolong his inevitable death if he goes along. I don't yeah. Know. All that to say is, I put myself in this situation. I didn't last very long. I wouldn't have made it to the end like Picard did. So
0: <laughs> I certainly would have. I I would not have. I would not have.
1: David, what do you think? Would you Would you make it or or not make it in this scenario? Like totally hypothetical. It's all fake. We know. Thank God. But what do you think?
2: Oh no, I'd I'd be fine. Not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? He he oh, really know. he really went for that, huh? <laughs> no, I, I
2: know. <laughs> that I silence know me. was being I- impressed. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I am much more confident in myself prior to being tested in any way. whatsoever.
1: <laughs> Aren't we all <laughs> in our imagination? We're so amazing.
2: I will say this and I've pondered saying this torture is it's abhorrent. Everybody does it. We know that.
0: Yes. But I have,
2: I've had to ponder, you know, I've had to absorb this in my uh, brain as a parent to say if someone kidnapped my children,
0: oh my God, yes, that's totally different.
2: I'm sorry, but your life is is forfeit if if I think I can get there. And so, what I was going to ask earlier, but as you ponder it, think of each other. Somebody has got you. You would you mount that rescue mission to get Charisse? Would you mount that rec- rescue mission, or would you would you torture someone to find? These are mm. hard, hard mm. questions. That are not easy to answer, and so while we want to think that we are brave enough to say we could do de- either take it or that we wouldn't do it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: we've never been faced with it, and so mm-hmm. it's it is it's a scary, slippery slope.
1: I would agree with you. I don't feel like it's a slippery slope for Goal Madrid, though. I feel like no, he's he like, it. Yes, he enjoys it, and
0: we're yeah, he enjoys it. We're going to learn more why he does later, mm-hmm. but. You know, at the at the um Enterprise, Gold Lamech is showing evidence of the torture to Jellico and Jellico won't admit to knowing anything about Picard's mission and won't vouch for him.
1: Which was the whole point in the beginning. That's why it's a super secret mission. They didn't tell anybody. That's so why. So he's like, he's like, This footage doesn't mean anything to me. And Riker is like, Riker and Troi are like, Oh my gosh. Like I mean, and actually the, the scene they showed was him being drugged and saying, I was on this mission with Beverly with Worf, you know, so that's yes, part of the yes, torture they see. They yes. don't even see all the crazy crap that happened right after that. All the,
0: everything after, yeah. Mm. But, you know, the Cardassians are like, look, we know that Picard is like important to you guys and we would hate for anything to happen to him. Toothy, sharp smile. Um, here's what we're proposing. You do a complete withdrawal of every ship in Cardassian space in exchange for the prisoner. And after they leave, you know, because Jellicoe's like, I need a few moments to talk to my people. He talks to Deanna and Riker and he thinks they should reject the proposal because he's like, I will take it up the chain of command, but I am But my, he's like, my... give
1: him an inch, they'll take a mile because they yeah. want him to so remove he's like, from in... all these little star bases that were in dispute that are Federation star bases. They want them back for Cardassian. Yes. Yeah. So Jellico's and, like, no. No, we're Jellico, not doing that.
2: Jellico knows that the jig is up, but he doesn't know that the deck was stacked against him from the beginning that it this was true. This, this, this because was it was trick. a
0: ruse yeah. yeah it was an elaborate yeah. ruse to get picard he also doesn't
1: know that picard's still alive at this point like this true. footage could be from yesterday mm-hmm.
0: so really yeah even
1: if he was like yeah yeah we should go they can go and they'll be like yeah we killed him anyways like there's no honor amongst thieves you can't again there's no taking your again. word for it in any of this
0: well Riker's like uh what about Picard? Hello. And Jellico basically says, not my job, not my prob. And Riker gets super <laughs> pissed. Well,
1: because Riker says, if you just acknowledge that this was, in fact, Starfleet orders, then he'll be protected under the such and such treaty. Yes. But Jellico says, if we acknowledge those orders, I mean, he doesn't say this, but this is what you understand. If they acknowledge that it was a Starfleet order, then that's a cause for war.
0: Because yes, Starfleet then already went into
1: their, their, you know, cross the line. Physically yeah. on purpose. So that would be a cause of war. So he was like, it's either start a war or disavow knowledge. This yeah. is a secret mission. We always plan that's to disavow why, knowledge. That's why the
0: military always says, like, okay, we're sending you on the secret mission. And if it goes sideways, we're disavowing we're not coming knowledge to get you. No. of the of you, of the mission, of the intel you've got, of the everything, right? And like I just thought though, you know, Riker gets really we're up in arms and we get uh, as in last week, you get another really good Riker yell, and I love yeah. when he yells because he's so fiery, uh-huh. and he's like, you're, well, what about Picard, ah, he's our captain, you know, and Jellicoe's like, you're relieved of duty, don't make me confine you to quarters, and in that n- moment I wrote, wow, F Captain Jellico." Okay, I
1: hate him. I, I hate him. I love that scene. I love that Ugh. scene because I love, I agree with you. I love seeing Riker get all fiery. And there was a moment where it was starting to get escalated. And Troy, being the amazing counselor she is, went to de De- de-escalate the situation yeah she did hey, Riker <laughs> let's just we don't want to hey say buddy. anything we don't mean um I think what we're all feeling right now is Angelico does not have <laughs> they're, they're like shut up Troy yeah shut up Troy and another thing Riker and he's like
0: what? both of them shut basically up. say shut yeah, up Troy yeah
1: they both say shut up Troy and they're both at each other's throats which was kind of like a long term long time coming like this was gonna happen yes. eventually anyways yep. but at that moment when he's like well maybe it well he said are you questioning are you questioning me, right? Because like, to David's point, it's all about control. So Jellico's mm-hmm. like, Riker, are you questioning me? And Riker's like, it is my job as first officer to question you when I think you're making a mistake. And then he's like, well, you should find other duties then. In that case, you're relieved mm. of duty. And then Riker goes to open his mouth to have another comeback. And that's when Jellico's like, don't make me
0: <laughs> yeah. confine you to corners. more word. Word, exactly.
1: Yeah. And he could be like, beep. And they would be like, yep, you're out. So he's like, just storms off and
0: troy is just like oh boy what just happened that's why we don't talk out of anger. that's why we
1: don't yell right and that's why we don't yell um but this was just such a great scene like what i wrote in my notes was great scene i really like the scene Mm -hmm. um so next we're in the ready room and data's wearing red and that totally threw me for a minute i I hate it i hate it i was like oh yeah because he's the new first officer but it just it threw me for a minute i was like what is he
0: why is that not Something's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it. I hate seeing him in red. It's but, weird, right? It's not yeah. his
2: color. It just doesn't go with his skin tones.
1: No, it doesn't he... go with it. doesn't go with gold. You like, know, I guess well, you think it will, but it doesn't.
0: We know that his skin is painted gold. But on screen, it translates into like a translucent, glittery kind of white. Mm -hmm. So you would think that yellow would wash him out and make him look really splotchy and red would be better. But it's not. And it's not only because we're (laughs) used to seeing him in yellow and we don't like change. (laughs) But Data, thankfully, is able to put together. (laughs) I don't like change, I guess. The older I get, the more I don't like change. Data puts together that the Cardassians catered, you know, to like Picard's past experience in creating this fake weapon you know and they're like now we kind of know like th- this whole metagenic weapon wasn't even a real thing they just created like a uh an emitter that made it look like something like that to to lure picard yeah you know, thank into god this for trap. data
1: to figure that out because i feel like nobody else would be able to be like well one plus one in this case equals 12 right like yes. nobody else would figure that out but he kind of no. put the he starts to put the pieces together and Jellico comes and wraps it in a bow to be like, ah, yes, that's, this is what That's up. where
0: it's really helpful because then Jellico steps in. That's where he's like, well, we think that the negotiations are going to fail. So we already have a plan for like the next step. They must also have done that. And they must also know that we're going to like make a move on them. So they probably wanted Picard to ask him like all these questions about that planet that we're supposed to be going to and meeting at and having this big standoff and da-da-da. so Jordy, i just need you to do like a real discreet scan of golem ship which uh begs the question how do you do a discreet scan because like sensors can pick up everything so i kind of wondered about that yeah
1: i don't think i mean i don't think it could be a secret but i also don't think because I, I would assume that the Cardassians are scanning them as well. And it's just yeah. like standard practice to just be scanning each other back and forth. Like, what is what difference does that make? They don't know what they're looking for exactly. They're just scanning yeah. stuff.
2: And I don't know why they don't do this more often in the series. But Jordy can just go to 10 forward and look at it.
1: I don't know if just by looking, he could have pinpointed the nebula, though the way that he did with the computer. But he could have seen something weird with the hull, I guess. But oh uh, no, yeah, he
2: could look at the he could look at the hole He can molecularly <laughs> stare at the you know the <laughs> thing and oh there's stare. a thing. I don't know. Yeah yeah, yeah he yeah. can
1: use his Jordy visor magic. But Jellico, I do piece, I do
0: love that idea though.
1: Yeah, and geordie's visor is so cool. So Jellico pieces it together and he says, if we did go to war in this sector. What's the nearest Federation starbase? And it was a planet on Minos Corva or a, p- a star base on Minos Corva. Um, mm. or near there, whatever. And so they were like, aha. So they must need to they must have assumed that the Enterprise would be sent because it's the flagship and that Picard knows our defense plans. Suck us, I'm the one who which, knows the defense plans. Yeah, which he so they should have taken Jellico. Well, yeah, in any case. So they figured and, out. And then also
0: which- if they took Jellico, I'd be like, Yeah, we're not doing a rescue mission. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody <laughs> would ask. They wouldn't be like, who's gonna mount them? <laughs> they'd be like oh please. delico later buddy yes
2: which after R. this R. I. P. which after this scene makes me jump back to your the question you asked in last week's episode is he the right man for the job like at this point <sighs> yeah at this point
1: yeah, at this point, I think absolutely. This moment when he's like, yeah. "Aha, okay, this is what this would be, and this is what that would be," and they know that we know that they know that we know. I think he mm-hmm. is the right person for the job in this moment. All of last episode, we're like, "Ooh, maybe we need to get like Keiko or Alexander in here," but for this, <laughs> we're like, "For at this moment, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we have Jellico because he's doing this like yeah. thre- thinking three steps ahead
0: of to- ahead."
1: I think it's he's space great. Chess.
0: It's a space chest. They're space-chessing each other, and I think it's really awesome. Um, Now, there is more torture that happens, but I'm going to kind of jump ahead just a tiny bit, and then we'll come back. Because Jordy does find that Golamek's ship has some hull degradation near the warp nacelles, indicative of some time spent in, like, strongly ionized space, like a nebula. And they're like, ah, there is a nebula just a couple of light years away from Minos Corva, Like, Hmm. So they're like, ah, there might be Cardassian ships hiding in the McAllister Nebula near Minos Corva. And so they may try to just like annex Minos Corva just before the war and kind of take away like where our standoff is going to be hole, at and holes, get, basically. get themselves an advantage. And so they're like, Data, get us to Minos Corva in three hours. And he's like, Roger that, 8.5, here we go. So now the ship is blasting its way to Minos Corva. Meanwhile, one of the most disturbing scenes of all. Gold Madrid is having father-daughter time with his adorable kiddo right in front of Picard, which thankfully he's, like, dressed in a tunic at this point. But, like, he's talking to his daughter, they're feeding the pet gerbil, the Cardassian gerbil, you know, or whatever it is. And it's just, it's so creepy. And I just wrote, this is so fucking weird because he's bringing his daughter it's like it's like bringing her into the family business yeah and i think everything about this man this room this treatment makes my skin crawl so much and they did a really great job at showing the horrors of torture it's madrid espouses all the glories of the Cardassian. it's just very nazi doctor to me is what it feels
1: like it definitely is and that's i mean you can you can tell that that's what they're going for with this episode um this scene like I don't know the big idea of this scene, but one of the things that sticks out the most to me is that Picard talks to him about this after his daughter kind of leaves. And at some point the daughter's like, oh, what's going on with that human? Like, did they have kids? Did they have daughters? You know, and Gold Madrid's like- they're not like us. They have kids, but they don't really love their kids. Like, we love our kids. Like, basically. Like, we're,
0: like we're sharks or something. We just hatch them and bounce.
1: Yeah. Basically, he's doing the whole dehumanizing again of, like, mm-hmm. yeah, they may look like us, but they're not like us. They're really, like, less than human. So we can we can do whatever we want to them, and it's okay. Right? So later on, Picard's just like, I'm really surprised that you would bring your daughter to see what you do to people, to see that you're it was, a torturer.
0: It was bring your daughter to work day. What do you Yeah, do?
1: And he is here for it. So Picard was like, I'm really surprised you would do that. And Gold Madrid's like, why? We we taught, we taught teach our children from birth about our enemies and that our enemies deserve basically whatever we want to do to them. And Picard makes yeah. a statement that is so profound. He said, when children learn to devalue others, they can devalue anyone, including their parents. And Goldmadrid Madrid is like, how dare you say that to me? You are so arrogant. You don't know what you're talking about. You're ignorant. You don't know about our... Like, he just goes off. Like, this just hits his button. He cannot accept that statement, which, by the way, I 100 percent believe is true, because if you're teaching that lives don't matter, no one's lives matter except for their own. Like, that's exactly what you're teaching them. And I don't see how you can't clearly and easily extrapolate that logic to when she's past eight years old. Like, it's so obvious. But he gets pissed and goes off on Picard and tells him how basically being under military control saved all the Cardassians, going from just like a whatever kind of society they had before to being a military society was the answer because now the military brought organization and structure and now kids don't go hungry on the streets and people are fed and people have health care and all is well, all because the military took over. And Picard says, well, your daughter's belly may be full, but her spirit's going to be empty. And then Golmatrya just backhands him. Like, how dare you say that about my daughter? And I just thought it was so interesting that he wasn't even able he wasn't even able to hear it. And also that Picard, yeah. who is this helpless victim who has no power, no quote unquote power in the situation, can get under his skin so easily yeah. with like logic and truth without he's having taking, a little microchip under his skin, right?
0: He's, like he's taking some control back, which goal Madrid absolutely cannot can't ah. abide. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, one one thing about control is you think of taking anything in your hand and squeezing it. If it's a pliable, if it's a pliable anything, it's going to squeeze out through between your fingers and it's going to, you know, you can't hold it all. Or think silly putty or something, Play-Doh, and it's just going to ooze out and squeeze out. The history point here that I'll bring up is we're about, when this show airs, we're about three years from the Berlin Wall having fallen. And about seven or eight years before that, we had this moment in time When this little girl from Maine writes a letter to the Soviet premier and asks, Mm. basically, do Russians love their children too?
0: Yes, the the letter to Gorbachev. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so so that whole moment in history is very fresh in the minds of the writers here. And so that's what we're trying to get across is, you know, the Russians turned that part of Berlin into a military society. And they couldn't yeah. maintain that control. So so I think they're, beyond giving a bunch of background, and this is the way they carried through the Cardassians into DS9, but uh, this is this is kind of the point that I think they're getting at is how does the propaganda about the way we think about other societies that aren't us, the others, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: how does that manipulate?
1: Yeah, and control. How does that manipulate and control? Yeah. Because if yeah. you other somebody else and make them the enemy, that galvanizes us against yes. them. And if yeah, we don't have a them, then there's no reason why there could be an us, right? We have to have a them.
0: Yes, that's what otherizing does. And it just absolutely dehumanizes um. I've known a lot of people who have been in the military and I have often asked, like, do you sleep well at night? Does it ever bother you? What you had to do? And they're like, No, because when you serve in combat and when you serve in a war zone, the only survival mind space you can have to stay safe is to make everybody else the other. And that way you're you're not sitting there like worrying and wondering about who this person yeah. was that had mm-hmm. to do, you know what I mean? So it's and it's that. And I just think, oh my God, it's just so. It's, it's just so horrific to watch like the small, innocent child, like being brought into this. This world
1: that she world. lives in. This is yes. her, this is her or world, I especially guess, if her father yeah. is this person, this I is guess, her world.
0: Yes. I guess it's not that like she's being brought into this world. It's terrifying for us to realize that she's been exposed to this world and is comfortable in this world. And it's like, that's, what's really upsetting. Cause if she was brought in and she's like, daddy, I don't like this, you know, then it's like, wow, gold Madrid, that was really shitty, you know, but like, for her to be like, what's he doing? What's going on there? And Picard was like semi-conscious at the time. It was just awful. It was awful. Now, while all this is happening, poor Picard is just losing his mind. He's psychologically retreating into a place of home and safety. And I've spoken to um I have a friend who I did not know until I had known her for several months that she she served in the military in combat and she was captured and tortured for months and it was really awful and she said one of the things that you do pretty quickly is you retreat mentally into home and they kept her in this little box and she said when she saw the box at first she was terrified but then they would take her out interrogate her and beat her and all this stuff so when they would bring her back to the box she was so relieved because she knew the box mm-hmm. was safety and the box was only big enough for her to like curl up in the fetal position, I think, or something like that. It was just absolutely horrific. So and I had no idea she doesn't she doesn't make it a, a headliner in, in her personality. but uh-huh. th- that came out and I was like, oh my God. And she was also a mother at the time and stuff too. It was just like, Jesus Christ. Anyway, so Picard is doing that thing. He's retreating psychologically to home and safety his childhood, which was happy. And goal Madrid says, you are intelligent you you're you're resourceful you've got all this you know i i guess there's no more reason to hold you like you're free to go home and someone will give you some clean clothing before you return your ship so poor picard believes him and starts walking away and i was just waiting for the other shoe to drop i was like Me One too. Of the people, and like, i can shut the doors on him or something because that's remember this trick scene that they do and that's to, like, exactly what you. i thought that's exactly what i thought i didn't
1: remember this scene i didn't remember him saying you can go but I was absolutely waiting for the doors to close yeah. or for the guards to be right on the other side of the door and be like, huh, you thought you were going somewhere or something. Yes. And then I was like, maybe he's telling him to leave so he can shoot him in the back. Because, you know, sometimes they do that on movies where they're yes. like, you can leave and then they shoot you in the back and they say you were trying to escape. And I was like, yeah. yeah, but that wouldn't make sense here because he's trying to torture him. So shooting him in the back, which is in the torture. So I was really like on pins and needles. Like, is he going to be able to make it all the way through the doors? What's going yeah. to happen? And he gets like right to the opening of the door. And then Gold Madrid drops this little nugget of, we'll just get whatever we need from the human female. Ugh. And you're like, and then Picard stops. And he's like, I'm sorry, who? And he's like, Beverly Crusher. We have her. And he's like, is she okay? And he's like, well, she's perfectly fine. We were waiting till we were done with our interrogation of you to start our interrogation of her. And you're just like, oh, the manipulation.
0: Yeah. Knowing full well taken that Worf and Beverly have already been picked up and they're safely aboard the Enterprise, and he says, your security officer left us few options. We had to kill him. So now Picard has grief. He's got worry. He's got rage. He's got whatever. And of course, he chooses to stay to save Beverly. And when I get really mad, I start speaking Spanish because it's just a a more eloquent, <laughs> perfect language for, like, passionately strong feelings. And I wrote, descarado, like, immediately. And <laughs> descarado means, like, arrogant, impudent, cruel, you know? And I was like, oh, like, it, it, impudent is, it, it's not strong enough. I was like, this out like, just, I hate this man. I hate Gold Madrid so much because he is so clearly gleaning enjoyment out of the, like, fucking misery that he's putting this person through oh my god and he I
1: even mean, says I would... like it makes me so something i don't remember what he said but something like i'm so delighted that you've chosen to stay or something <sighs> he says where you're like fool this was barely a choice
2: and i think even i was catching on first time i watched it to that this is no longer really about the long game this is about
1: right.
2: the battle of wills
1: Yes. yes. This, is, and, this is extending this particular game.
2: Yeah, winning, winning the information. Minos Corva bonus.
1: Yeah. He's already said. I know you're breaking, don't
2: know. <laughs> breaking, <laughs> just... breaking this adversary. And we love seeing in movies and things. We love seeing the the two strong adversaries. Whether it's yeah. you know Schwarzenegger beating up the other guy, or it's where mm-hmm. it's just it's this battle of wills that that you see on screen. Um, I remember on Lost, it was uh, who was the little guy from the others and then John Mm -hmm. Locke and just seeing them go back and forth with a battle of words just was amazing to just, you could just sit there and watch that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like he's already said, like, I know you don't know anything about Minos Corva. Like he, he knows he doesn't even care about that. You're absolutely right, David. This is a battle of wills. And the thing is we are, I was so grateful and relieved at this moment that he really didn't have Beverly and really didn't have Worf. Yeah. Because if they had captured them in that cave, this scenario would be 100 percent true. They would have killed Worf. And I feel like they probably would have tortured Beverly also, but they would yeah, have they absolutely used, Yeah, but they would have absolutely used her as leverage for Picard. Like they would have drawn brought her into the room and like hurt her in front of him to make him suffer more. Do you know what I mean? So I was just like, I'm so glad that they're not really there because even though we know he's lying, he could mm-hmm. easily be telling the truth. Like Mm -hmm. he could easily be telling the truth. And that's what makes it so, so hard to watch. So Picard sits back down, but even in that, like we're talking about control, right? The fact that he chooses to sit back down to save Beverly is a totally different scenario of him than him trying to save himself.
0: Yeah. Or being forced to sit down. Yeah.
1: Or being forced to sit down. Right. So this is actually, in my mind, doubling down his control of the situation
0: more so than goal
1: Madrid, right? It's like, he's almost outplay overplaying his hand.
0: That's the thing, is that this but you know, Minos Corva is the assignment, but the delight is breaking Picard and it's me versus you and I think that there was this very subtle shift in their relationship which made Gold Madrid want to break him even more because Gold Madrid made the comment about the kids and how they can otherize others and they can otherize their parents even and that got under Gold Madrid's skin and Gold Madrid is taking that out on Picard now like it's personal now because before it was business. Now, Starfleet at this point is convinced that the Cardassians are trying to hit Minos Corva. The Cardassians have about 17 hours left before their whole degradation will force them out of the nebula. So, you know, Jellicoe's like, assignments, everyone, okay? Like, get ready for the, we- we're going to have to engage, you know, with them. And he says, Dr. Crusher, I want you to get sickbay ready for, and she's like, all the casualties you're going to send my way. And I get that she's pissed, but also, girl, you're in the military. Like, what do you think yeah. this was? You're on the brink of war. Yes, there's going to be. Okay. Like, no, we don't want, you know, casualties. And yes, there will be. So yeah, I no think point the point getting whole... on your huffy bike about it. Yeah,
1: I think it's the whole scene, though. Like, when when the scene starts, Jellico's like, all right, guys, here's the plan. All the Cardassians are hiding in this nebula, their entire attack force. So we're going to go to the nebula, and we're going to set a bunch of mines, and we're going to get them first. And Jordy's mm-hmm. like, um, sir, you're just guessing. What, what if you're wrong? Yeah. And then we yeah. go into this nebula, and we cross into Cardassian space, or... You know, couldn't this actually start the war we're trying to prevent? And Jellicoe's like, "Huh, you'd have to show me a lot of evidence to convince me of that." So he's seen mm-hmm. no, he's seen like barely any evidence that they're in the nebula, and he's convinced the whole fleet's in there and all this other stuff. So basically, you couldn't show him any evidence to tr- to prove opposite of what he's decided is true. Just so happens that he was right, but like we don't know that. So he tells Jordy, like basically, whatever you say, I don't care. I'm right, and we're going to do this plan. And that's when Beverly says, yeah, but you're still gambling with, like, thousands of lives. Like, sh- do you want to maybe, like, double check or, you know, something? Yeah, should we and, maybe, you know? Yeah, like, just so, just get some kind of confirmation before we go through with this plan. And that's when Jellico cuts her off and is just like, I didn't come here to talk about this. The plan has been approved. This is the plan we're going with. And that's when he starts barking out orders. So I think that's more why she storms away is that it's not even, is that Jellico seems reckless and thoughtless with people's lives. And that is yeah. always a hot button for Beverly. Always. Of but course it is. She knows she's in the military because she says yes, sir, and go- gets up to do it, right? She doesn't just sit and be like, well, I'm not doing... It's like, no, of yeah. course she's gonna, she's going to help, you know, she's going to do her job. But it's just like a really messy scene. And if he's right, they should absolutely listen to him. The challenge is we don't know that he's right. And his leadership style does not lead anyone mm. to trust him. If Picard was saying all of this, they wouldn't even ask him those questions. They'd be like... Oh, interesting, sir. How many minds do you need? You know what I mean, like yeah. how'd you come Beverly, across this information. Cool.
2: Beverly would have said, "I need to go prepare sickbay
1: for all mm-hmm. the casualties."
2: She would but, have totally. No. It's, it's it's just a total change of trust.
0: Yes, yes, and but I will say, even though I really hate Jellico in this episode, and I think he's such a punchable face. He does make a point. He's like, it kind of doesn't matter what we're talking about now, because these orders have already been approved and sent down from Starfleet Command. Like, we can quibble over technicalities all we want, but these are our orders and we're doing it. Like, it really wasn't his decision. Well, actually, it was Starfleet's decision. I don't
1: think it was quote unquote orders. He came up with this plan and ran it up the chain and it was approved. So this is his plan that was approved. It's not like they ordered him out of the blue. He said, I think they're in the nebula. This is what we should do. And they were like, go for it. So, like, he's he's in charge. He can make any decisions he wants. He's the freaking captain. Like, they have to listen to him. But I think they're used to discussions with Picard, right? That's usually why they're in the observation lounge. When he goes, options, that's why they're there. Mm-hmm. But Jellicoe doesn't do this <clears> whole <throat> yeah. options. So, they're, like, talking to the wrong captain right now. He's, he's not here for a discussion. He's here to get everyone on the same page with what yeah. they need to do. So, he's getting frustrated because they're all like, what do you think? What the- no. Go ahead, David.
2: He says, I've phoned a friend. The answer is D, Nebula.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we're done. And that's all that's all we're here to talk about. So I think that's it's just like this, it's just this clash of personalities. But he he was gonna do this plan regardless. So he's really like to me, it seems he's frustrated that they're trying to talk about it. He didn't Mm. come to talk about it. He came to tell them what to do, and they're frustrated that he doesn't want to talk about it. Because McCart always talks about it, even if he's already has something in mind. And he gives
0: them the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yeah. So I just it's just such a clash, like but I I still think. Um, you know, it turns out Jellico was right, and like they need to listen to him. But I understand why they're all hesitant um, because of their yeah. communication clashes. So, in any case, that's what we're doing. Okay, so Worf is going to go arm like five hundred mines, and Jordy's going to go outfit a shuttle that can deliver the mines, and Beverly's going to go prepare for casualties, and everyone's dispersed and doing their job. Riker's going to read a good book, and we're going to come back to them <laughs> later. So, yeah, we go back to this chamber, and now Gold Madrid is eating breakfast. And he's cracking this giant test bar egg. And I yeah, think it's like a
0: pink hard boiled egg.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think they made this shell out of like, um, like that sugar candy because when he cracks, mm-hmm. that's what it looks like. It looks like those candy crystals. That was probably my favorite prop in this entire episode. I was like, what is that? Like when they cracked it, it had the crack sound of eggs. But when you look at it, it was like, it looks like candy. But then he like opened it and I was like, no, it looks like an egg. And I was really stuck on this for like, for real, guys. I was like, but what, what I'm is like, that? like, cool hard boiled egg. No, I was like, what is that? Because I know it's not an egg and it looks like candy. And I just really want to know, how did they do that? Like, I want to see the behind the scenes of that exact prop being created. That would but, be really cool. But I didn't get that chance. So anyways, they cracked this really cool looking egg.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he then, says, I have this test bar egg. I'm happy to share it with you, which again is like good cop turn. Good cop, right? bad cop. Yeah. All yeah. of the and,
2: and and the other aspect of it is not like he came in with a plate of food. He came in with this dainty, refined
1: A delicacy. Yes. Tea delicacy sandwiches. Thing.
2: Yeah. And and it's just it's just to show that this is where we're at. This is this is how comfortable I am in this environment.
0: Yeah. You're 100% right. It's very much, we're going to have some tea sandwiches and some finger food, because what Picard really wants is an all-you-can-eat buffet, because he hasn't eaten in three days or five days or whatever, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. And and so he is, he's desperately eating and drinking with his hands, you know, like an animal, which is what Madrid wanted, because he's Mm -hmm. reduced him to an animal. And Madrid is just thrilled by all this. And he ends up telling Picard's story of his youth and how it how effed up it was that like, you know, before the military came in and saved all of Cardassia, we were all just like wild animals huddled sleeping in doorways and all this stuff, which always made me wonder why sleep in a doorway? Seems kind of drafty, but I don't know. But okay. So he said he found three of these test bar eggs and he couldn't help himself. He ate one and was going to take the other two, like back to his little group or whatever. And he's like, These two would have kept me alive for another week, but an older boy saw me. And took the eggs and I didn't want to give him up. So I he had to break my arm to do it. And this is what Picard says that I was like, fuck, this guy is so good. He says it must be so rewarding to be able to pass on the misery inflicted on you to others. And Madred was like,
1: Yeah. And he said something like to repay it to others. Yeah. So and he says, like, so how very do you clear mean? that you're doing this out of that? Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's like torture has never been a reliable means of extracting information. People will tell you whatever they want to hear in order to make it stop. So this is about control. Despite all you have done to me, I will always see you as a pitiable man. And while Picard is eloquating, Madred is like stop, stop, stop talking. And he gets under that skin and Madred turns on the pain receptor and says I will leave this on all night, which I was like, "Oh god. Oh my god. No, no, no." And I and this is where I think picard has hit a whole other level as a torture victim because based on like just the little bit i've read this can happen where at some point you kind of I wouldn't say you embrace the pain, but it no longer scares you, right? Because the biggest thing is your fear of the pain. It's not even yeah. so much the pain, it's your fear of it, right? So he says, no matter how much you hurt me, like, you're a six-year-old boy. You cannot hurt me. And just was, like, screaming and wailing because his body is in pain, but his mind is not. And Gold Madrid is, like, ah! right? Like, it's just eating him up.
1: Yeah, like, and this one piece of, like, foolproof machinery That's going to make him the most powerful kid in the room in the sandbox is not working. It's not working. it's just so hard
0: to watch. It's super hard to watch. Patrick Stewart, 1 million percent just killed it. And at the tail end of the episode, I'm going to go into like how and why. But oh, my God, just absolutely crushed that. And I was like, it was really disturbing.
1: Yeah. So we leave him writhing in the floor to go back to what's going on in the enterprise. And so we as viewers are like, wait, what, but what happened to, oh, right. We're still doing other things. Right. But you're yeah. I mean, like, so you're so <laughs> captured by like, what's going to happen to the captain. Is he going? You're so into that story that when it goes to the other story, you're like, oh, right. we There is something else going on. That's actually even a bigger story and could lead to war, but we're trying to say, but we don't know if, we, you know, like there's more going on, which is why this story is so memorable. But um, so we go back to the ship and we see we're in a shuttle and um, we see Jellico is is kind of like checking out what's going on. And Jordy's putting the last finishing touches and pushing buttons on Elkar's panels and whatnot. And so we find out that these mines that have been armed need to be laid within about two kilometers of the Cardassian ships. But all the sensors are going to be blinded by the nebula. So the only sensor that they can use is a proximity detector. So basically, they're like walking in through a thick fog until they run into something. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to drop the mine with trying not to hit that something or detonate the mine and then go to the next something. And I'm like, wow, this is a crazy plan. <laughs> yeah. Like as he's talking, I was just like no, thank you. Like I'm putting this on the same list with the rappelling down a sheer rock face. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm super good. This I feel like there's a lot of room for error. I just no, nah, I'm good. It's it's so, free
2: climbing, free climbing in fog. Right yeah, it, right.
1: climbing it really in, is. Yes, in complete soupy fog. You don't know the next handhold until you reach it. What's get out of here no so thanks. that's that's the plan this is their only plan which is a crazy plan but this crew loves them some crazy plans so Jellico and Jordy are kind of like swapping stories about being back in the day and like how crazy this maneuver is going to be and Jellico goes like are you the man who could fly this for me and Jordy's like I could do it but honestly the man you need is Riker and you just see Jellico like swallowing bile at that yeah. statement. Because we find out later when he goes to Riker's quarters that he's been asking every pilot on the entire ship, do you think you could fly this shuttle mission? And you know, every single one of them is like, you know who you really need? You need Riker. And he's Mm -hmm. like, "Ah, not another one. Yeah. Why is that? keep saying Riker because Riker's like his number one enemy. So he, (laughs) which I just love. And when he said that, like, oh, you need Riker to me. I was like, oh, cool. This is like a throwback to our pilot episode of TNG where Riker was like the best pilot in Starfleet or whatever.
2: Before he gets over to Riker's quarters, though, <laughs> though, he's, if you notice in the background, I don't know how big these, uh, huge mines are that they're are 500 mines. They yeah. They're walk in on, the back,
1: they're, they, they look, look like, like they're the, the size of like, uh, like a protein shake container. Yeah, they, they look pretty some,
2: small. They've got like these three foot, four foot, like five, three or four foot long things. How big are these things, and does it really fit in a shuttle? And how did you need five hundred?
1: Maybe each one of those had had a hundred. Maybe they're
2: yeah, but um, I guess. Yeah.
0: How are you deploying them? Because yeah. the shuttle is basically like a studio apartment; it's just sort of one room. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then to deploy them, do you have to open the hatch and push them out? But also, like, how's this supposed to happen? Because normally, well, why not? Because normally. When you're deploying, like, bombs or anything like that, there's, there's, an opening. A whole, mm-hmm. there's a whole opening, and they're externally mounted on the shuttle, so you could just, you know, release the hook, and they just fall or float or whatever you but need to Star do. But
1: They could just transport it out of the shuttle.
0: I guess they just transport it out, but I was like, how
1: are they supposed to get out of the ship?
0: Like, you're in one room, and there's
1: not enough space for a force yeah. field, so, like, what are you supposed to do? I would say, I mean, unless, you know how sometimes they do the force field, but stuff can go through the force field, but, like, other stuff can't go through the force field, so they <laughs> yeah. can always do that little, like, force fieldy trick. But I I will say David brings up a good point. Five hundred are going to fit in one shuttle. Now we already have established in a previous episode that they didn't have enough space for a tea tray, yeah. uh, in yep. the shuttles. So yeah, I'm now when you say that I'm like five because in my mind the mines are gigantic. But you're right, there were just like a few like thermoses <laughs> back, and now it's now it's no longer tracking. Well, in any case, somehow magically 500 (laughs) mines that fit there that are small and big and somehow get deployed without sucking them into the vacuum of space can fit in that okay sure so or mate yeah no i'm like trying to figure i'm like no you're like no that can't work yeah i'm like (laughs) no what if what if they had a because i was thinking what if they had a force field just just behind them you know how sometimes they have that force field when they're transporting prisoners and it's like just behind the people flying the ship and like the back is open but still, if you turn off the force field and you open the hatch, everything's going to get sucked out. In any yeah, old so kind you of way. can't
0: you can't place them different places. Yeah, no.
1: Well, so okay, makes no sense. But we're going to just say they figured. We're that just going to gloss over that. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> so then we go on Riker's quarters, where we get my favorite Riker scene of all of TNG. This is the scene that I I often skip these two episodes when I'm doing the rewatch, except for this scene. I go to this episode. I go to this scene, and then I fast forward to the very end of this episode. And that is me watching Chain of Command. And I go to the next episode. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> what I do. So Jellico enters with his tail between his legs. And Riker's reading a giant book, which I love. I love seeing a man read a book. I just think it's so sexy. So Riker's reading a book, which I don't think we've ever seen him read a book. So I was all for that. And uh, he comes in, and he's like, "Yeah, and Jellico's making the most painful small talk ever. Like, oh, hey, so how's it going? How's everything? How's being relieved of duty? Is it treating you nice? You know?" And Riker's just like, "Can I help you with something?" And Jellico's like, "Are you aware of the mission to the nebula?" And Riker's like, "Yeah, I'm totally aware. Every single—I know you've been talking to every single shuttle pilot on the ship to see if they can fly the mission." And so Jellico doesn't still doesn't want to come out and say anything. So he just like storms over to him and he's like, all right, listen up, let's just drop ranks so we can just speak our mind, which means so I can speak my mind, right? That's all that means. It doesn't (laughs) mean he wants to hear any reflections on himself. Then he goes off on Riker saying, I think you're arrogant and you're this and you're that. And you think, I don't know, just all this crazy stuff. And as soon as he finishes, Riker's like, well, since we've dropped ranks, now I would like to say what I think. And I'm just, this is the scene where I just love. And he's like, you are arrogant. And he does this whole speech about how Jellico doesn't let anybody just be themselves. He's so focused on controlling everyone and everything that there's no joy in their work anymore. He's so uptight and he ruins everyone's lives, which is really hard to hear, but also true. And you just see Jellico just like being so pissed, but also can't say anything because he opened the door by saying, Let's drop ranks. So you're like, all right, what are what are we gonna do then? So Jellico takes a beat. And then he says, I'm not going to force you to take this mission because he can't because he relieved him of duty, anyways. Right. But he goes, Well, then why don't you just ask me? And I just love that. Right. Like it just was like, I don't know. It just made me feel really good. And so Jellicoe, through gritted teeth, is like, Will you fly the mission? And Riker's like, Yes, of course. And Jellicoe turns to storm out. And just before he gets through the door, Riker goes, You're welcome. And it's like more salt in the wound because Jellicoe did not say thank you and was not going to say thank you and want to kind of like leave with the upper hand. And like this whole scene just shows us that he has absolutely no control of Riker, which is, I think, maybe his greatest fear. But on the other hand, he's mature enough or responsible enough or professional enough to know he needs the best man for the job, like him or not. So I think in that sense, that did make him... You know, like, that was a point in his favor. Like, you asked the right person. You didn't try to fly it yourself out of spite. You know what I mean?
2: Which goes, no, which doesn't go. This is just another great example of the beautiful storytelling that they're doing here is we've just had the same scene. Our, our antagonist loses control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And has to deal with it. And how they react to that control loss is different situations. That-
0: that's a fantastic parallel. Actually, I didn't even think of that at all. Where it's like, you're right. We have this like antagonist protagonist situation going on on the Enterprise and down, you know, on Cardassia or wherever Picard is. And I didn't even think of that, which is, yeah, it's like you now no longer have the upper hand and you have to like grovel. So, you know, I think
1: Picard's on a ship in the nebula. I don't think okay, so
0: Jordy and Riker fly the mission, and there's some turbulence, but they lay the mines on each ship, and off they go. It's a success, and now Jellicoe.
2: Sorry, which makes this big question right here. As they put all these little booby traps around, is this the Kevin McAllister Nebula
0: <laughs> from Home Alone? <laughs> booby traps everywhere. Is there a paint can going to swing around and hit exactly. us?
2: a blowtorch yeah. is
1: like on a head. whole bunch of glue on one of the mines just like a whole <laughs> bunch of glue you just can't get it off your hands
0: <laughs> a Sorry. spike you know a nail coming out of a step <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Jellicoe calls to golemac and he's like i just want you to know that you're seconds away from being toast um, you're gonna disarm immediately, like, all your ships are gonna come out of the Kevin McAllister Nebula, they're gonna drop all their <laughs> phaser generators, all their whatever, arrays. yeah, yeah, everything, and you're gonna return Picard immediately. And Goal Madrid is like, or Gole sorry, Golemek, Golemek yeah. Gole is like, you're bluffing, and he's like, all right, well, Worf. You know, set off like, you know, this this smaller mine. Mine number rocks, three three two one or whatever. Yeah. Um, it rocks x ship and Delica goes, that was a little one. So it's like, oh, you guys have like small, medium, large, like like grande, you know, tall yeah. grande venti whatever, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, you guys have different sizes of ones. Cool, cool. And so that's when he's like, Look, uh, you're gonna give us what we want because Gollemek is like, no, we'll never surrender. And he's like, all right, Mister Worf, go ahead and set off. And Gollemek's like, fine, I capitulate. Which I was like, that was really fast, but okay, like a well laid plan, right? And mm-hmm. so they're like, okay, we will, we will let Picard go now. Gold Madrid, At first, I thought he just hadn't gotten the memo. Right. Uh-huh. Because I was like, oh, Goldman going to come in and be like, all right, I guess we've negotiated some sort of thing. You're like free to go. Fine. I hate you. Goodbye. Whatever. Yeah. But he's like, guess what? Here comes more torture. And I was like, yeah. he didn't get the memo. But then later I was like, oh, he did get the memo. And he was like, this is my last opportunity before Picard is snatched away from me yep to like really fuck with him. Right. Mm-hmm. So he comes in to tell Picard that the enterprise has been destroyed. No one will ever know that he was here and he could be here for years and years which madred would relish the thought he's like or you can live a life of comfort and luxury all the women you want all the food you want if only you're to tell me how many lights you see and that's when golemette comes and he's like what the hell madred he was supposed to be ready to go like 20 minutes ago like what the yeah. fuck have you been doing in here
1: like, there's a ship waiting to take him right now
0: like we're waiting like, on you yeah and
1: he's like go go with the guards get cleaned up get us get some clothes and get him on that ship before they blow us up right yeah. they only gave us 20 earth minutes before they're gonna blow us up let's go yeah and and gold madrid is just like like darn it you know and you yeah. just see picard staring at the lights and then he looks at gold madrid and he's just like there are four lights and you're like wow like wow, and then he turns around and the guards kind of try to help him because it's clear he can't walk because he's been being tortured for days. And he's like, ah! And he pushes them off of him and he stumbles on his own.
0: He waves them away and stumbles away under his own steam. And I got to tell you, I burst into tears at Mm. that moment. I just burst into tears because he could have like relied on the guards to carry him out because he's like, fine, I'm free. But even still,
1: he's still talking
0: to the friend of mine who has who's a torture survivor she's like oh they would tell us all the time like we were being exchanged in a prisoner swap we were gonna get to go home yeah um and they would plant all these false stories in like the in the prisoners minds that like we're seconds away from being overrun by the u.s forces like this is a, probably last day here they're coming tomorrow and like it was all lies so uh, i just i burst into tears in this moment like seeing this nearly broken man who has like found some way to regain power even being the victim of torture i was like jesus christ you know so picard makes it back to the enterprise angelico transfers command back to the ship to picard and i was like don't you like need a bunch of time for like healing and counseling and therapy and like yeah well, I, feel like this, off.
1: I feel like this moment when they do the transfer was like i feel like this was like right after picard got back on the ship like he got back on the ship Took a sonic shower, put in his uniform, and headed straight to the bridge. Like I feel like it hasn't been very many minutes since he's yeah. been released from torture at all.
2: Uh, he's been a Borg.
1: <laughs> Which I feel like was better than this, because at least as a Borg, you have no regrets. Right. And he so he um he is on the ship and then
0: they do the go ahead. Well I, Well. I I initially thought the same thing as you, where I was like, it's only been a few minutes. But when he yelled, there are four lights and wobbles away the the corner of his mouth is really bruised and bleeding and stuff and then when they when they come back to the enterprise like when mm-hmm. he comes back to the enterprise he seems to be all healed up which I'm like okay so it's been yeah
1: but he wasn't healed naturally he was healed in sickbay like that's yeah. that's how they always do However, has... I think you're right but I think you're but right. it's been Deanna more, does more say that like, read... he wrote a report. yeah because
0: because yeah. he wrote a whole report because Deanna subsequently said like I read your report so I was like okay it's probably been so a few been, days
1: it's been some time. But I feel like not a ton of time. And in yeah. any case, he he goes. They exchange the command codes. He relieves Jellico of duty
0: later. And, Jellico
1: and before Jelico before, before leaves, he does two things that I think are funny slash ridiculous. He's talking to Picard, and he's like, "It's just the way you left it. Maybe a little bit better. Like he's still feeling like he came and and like f- saved the day and made the ship amazing. And when he said that that sentence of Maybe a little better. If you see in the background, it's Troy and Riker. And Riker gives him this death stare. Like, if looks could could kill at the moment when he says, I made the ship better, he would be dead on the floor. Like Riker's (laughs) just like, how dare you? And it's hilarious.
0: Good thing Riker didn't take Q up on his, I'll make you a Q offer. Because he would have (laughs) just evaporated Jellicoe way before this. But especially then. Especially at this moment. yeah, Yeah. So then he
1: does. they transfer the codes or whatever. And then as Jellicoe's walking off, he pauses and turns and goes, it's been an honor serving with you like to the to the room at large he doesn't look anyone in the eye he, he,
0: he looks like at the view screen i feel like
1: yeah he like he glances around <laughs> but not like but like at knee level so he glances around it's been an honor and just walks off and it's the most anticlimactic and it's just like it's just like that story we're just like bye jake bye you know, yeah. like hey, hey Edward, see you later. Actually, we hope we don't see you later. Bye. Yeah. yeah. Uh, don't rush, do you,
0: don't rush back here, Jellicoe. You need
1: to make it all the way to the transporter room. We could transport you from here. We could just yeah. do it now. We could just send Ooh, you right so back to the room. we transported you
0: into into space.
1: Into space. Yeah. So but I yeah. So those two things I thought were the one where like I made the ship better. No, no, sir, you did not. And then when he's just like, it's been an honor in the most perfunctory way. And then he leaves <laughs> and we're all relieved that he's gone. And then he looks at Troy. And nods and then turns to go to his ready room and she follows. And I just love that, like, nonverbal communication that shows that they're so in sync, which is what I love about the
0: show. She's like, he starts talking to her and she's like, how are you? And he's like, I'm. And you can see he's like kind of one lost in his thoughts and memories and trauma, but also I think the pain of it all, emotional psychological mental physical was so overwhelming he's like i can't even begin to find words for what this was like and you can't
1: and treat that in sick bay unfortunately you absolutely like, cannot i wish cannot. there was a hypospray for like post-traumatic oh my god i wish syndrome, there was a hypospray i
0: would I, e- even us talking about how much we want hyposprays and not needles if there was a if there was a needle that could give me a medication mm. that wasn't uh-huh. some sort of crazy drug that people turn to to escape the terrors of their lives and stuff. Like a real medication yeah. that's like, let me just wipe this away and it's not addictive. I would absolutely take it. In a heartbeat. I'd be like, no, I don't want to live through traumas again. Absolutely uh-huh. not. But she says, I-, I read your report. Like, you don't have to say anything. And he's like, all I had to do was say there were five lights. Like, he offered me at the end, w- which Picard said, I I did I. Withheld this from my report. Yeah, this
1: is the part that didn't make it in the report. Yeah, I'm going like, to tell you right now. At
0: the end, he offered me this like life of comfort and luxury if I would just say that there were five lights, and I know that there were only four. And he was going to respond before Golanet came in to be like, "What are you doing? Like, he's supposed to be out of here by now." But at that point, and Picard, it breaks my heart. Picard like almost breaks as he says this. He's like, "I was convinced that I could see." five lights and he is just such a haunted and wounded broken person i was like oh my god it was just oh it was super super painful
1: yeah this was a really a really rough scene one i do love the fact that picard and troy can have this conversation in his ready room like i wrote in my notes that i just i love this idea that he doesn't have to wait for an appointment or he doesn't have to meet in troy's office but Mm -hmm. there's just this like in the moment mental health care which Mm -hmm. i just think is so cool it's just so cool because you're like whoa this crazy thing happened and i need to talk about it right now and i can because the ship's in good hands like there's not an emergency or whatever like i can take this moment to to talk about what i've gone through and of course it's gonna be a lot more than this one conversation but i really loved that and then um picard also mentions like like when she says you didn't say it and he was like no i didn't say it but i was gonna say it i would have told him anything i would have told him absolutely anything he wanted to hear." So he had talked about how torture leads people to just say anything. Yeah. And, he was, and we had seen him just seem like this man of steel this whole time, like refusing yeah. to budge an inch. And here we find out he's not a man of steel. He's just a person like anybody else. Yeah. And he was about to break one second
0: before Golamek came in. Yeah. So you're like, oh my yeah. gosh.
1: So which really humanizes him. Like, you're, it's, yeah, yeah, not yeah. super. Instead of like,
0: like, I would have withstood anything. It's like, mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, for him, for him, because we saw him withstanding anything, but for him to be like, no, I was going to, I was going to absolutely break, and then for him to admit that he really did see five lights—that tells you that the the psychological damage was affected, even though Gol Madrid didn't know that, right? Gol mm-hmm. Madrid kept pushing to try to mess with his mind, yeah, and yeah. to Gol Madrid's mind, Picard never cracked, never broke, but we find out as the yeah. audience that he did actually break, and it's like, wow, it makes it's- you really feel <sighs> for the captain, and also realize he's not he's not superman he's just a person
0: yeah yeah now because this is a really triggering episode and this was one that i've been dreading watching but also kind of looking forward to reviewing um uh i i did a little bit of research on like what kind of where all this came from so frank abeta marco uh did intensive research he was the writer of part one and part two he did a ton of intensive research, including consultations with Amnesty International on the psychology of tortures, torture methods, and the experience of endurers to inform the episode. And um, Amnesty International supporter Patrick Stewart was delighted by the first draft, but was concerned when he heard that there might be some rewrites. So they said, "Quote: Patrick got very concerned because he assumed that meant we were going to go backing off from the very strong nature of it." And Patrick said, "I don't want to do that. I think." this hits it head on. And I want to do that. I don't want this to become another talky episode where we simply talk about and around something and don't really tell it the way it is. So these concerns were shared um, by like the writing crew who remembered that Stuart was thrilled at the finished script because they didn't back off an inch. And Patrick was like, this is really strong stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I, he did a bunch of research speaking to like torture survivors and all this stuff too to really make it as real as possible. And I love that they didn't sugarcoat it, you know, where like Picard disappears and then comes back 45 minutes later with like a cute cut above his eyebrow. It's like, Nope, this is, this is what it is. And as us as viewers, never knowing, like when they're like, well, I have no more reason to, harm you, you may right, go. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, we're going we're gonna to take Beverly now. Or like, you can go. They've negotiated a trade for you and he really could go. But it's like, at any time, you're like, mm-hmm. the other shoe could drop. Like, we also didn't know what was going to happen. And when good cop was going to appear and when bad cop was going to be it was just all very real. And that's what made it, I think, so horrific to watch this episode.
1: Yeah. Oh. It was really intense and it didn't back off. It didn't. And it gives, it not it just didn't. showed torture, but it showed like so many aspects of torture and war. And this idea of is all fair in love and war because it showed the child being exposed to this. It showed good cop, bad cop. It showed the psychological trauma. It showed physical trauma. It showed, you know, we think he's dead, you know, POW. We think he's dead. Mm -hmm. So we're going to write him off and go on with our lives. They think, you know, he thinks you're dead. Like all of it, it was so many layers upon layers all crammed into these two 45-minute episodes, which was really impressive. Yeah. Now that we're at the end of both, I have the same question I had before, which is, do you think that Captain Jellicoe was the right man for the job? Let's start with David.
2: I think ultimately he was kind of like Shelby with the Borg. Yeah. You you you've You've got to take the person you think can complete the mission and he was the one that was either available or had the most knowledge doesn't he's not there to win you know a contest Friends, right mm-hmm. he's there to complete a mission unfortunately he ran all over top top of everybody to get there so yes he he was but we none of us enjoyed it. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. What do you think, Andrea? I mean, I really do think it's the same as as David because ultimately he got the job done. So it the the mission was a success. Um, if the job was done and and Captain Picard made it back safely and the escalation was sort of cut off and sort of you know war was prevented then he was the right man for the job i think the only writer man for the job could have been picard but he was otherwise detained Uh um i didn't have to like it but he did the job what about you
1: yeah at the end of the first episode i was like oh this guy but at the end of the second episode (laughs) i was like i absolutely think jellicoe was the right man for the job i agree with david he wasn't here to win friends that was not his job that's and unfortunately, if Picard had died, who knows how long he would have been in charge of the Enterprise. Hopefully not long. Hopefully they would have just given it to Riker and then put Jellico back on the Cairo because, like, you know, the thing had been maybe de-escalated or maybe it did escalate. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I think he was absolutely the right man for the job because in this episode, he had that brilliant plan for the mines in the nebula. Yeah. Granted, he had no proof that they were actually all in the nebula, that there was a force in there, that they were going to – like, he didn't know that for sure. But the fact that that was all true, I think that plan was genius. Yeah. And he knew exactly how to push their buttons and manipulate them in a way that completely de-escalated the situation. They all had to leave the Nebula one by one. They all had to drop their weapons. And he was like, you know, and Golomek was like, we'd be defenseless. And he was like, yeah, so you better hurry up and get back to Cardassia, huh? You know, it was just like, yes. and you know the Federation's not going to fire on them. Like the, the Cardassians don't know that. But we, you know, we know the Federation's not going to fire on them. So there was like no lives lost. And I do think that Jellico was the perfect person for the job because of that one life-saving, war-averting, crisis-fixing choice yeah. and idea. And I was like, I don't know if anybody else would have even thought to do thought of that. So I was like, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I agree with Andrea. I don't like him. <laughs> but the day was saved because of him. So I would give him a medal for sure.
2: I don't like him. But if I was in a legal situation, I would want him to be my lawyer. I don't want a nice lawyer.
0: Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. You want an absolute, like, shark that's going to defend you for whatever. You don't necessarily want that, but sometimes that's what you need. And you're right, like, he didn't know for sure that the Cardassian ships were hiding in the McAllister Nebula. But as in real military maneuvers and war, you don't always have the best intel and you have to make educated guesses based on a couple of scraps of information that you have. And so I think it did a really great job at showing, like, What war kind of is like, you know, you take away the frontline stuff and you go back to the rear and it's all intel. It's all bluffing. It's all showing your cards when it's at your most advantage. You know, people are captured. People are hurt. People are tortured. People, you know, and you just have to kind of sometimes go in guns blazing, even if you barely have any guns at all. You know, so it really I think that these episodes really do show what like escalating war is like and why negotiators are so critical and crucial because wars are not necessarily uh won by like the men and women at the front lines even though they're incredibly important and they're incredibly valued by all of us wars are won by like the men and women in the back rooms making deals and trades Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff that's what ends wars you know so i thought that this episode did a really great job of that. Um, Final thoughts on this episode. David, what do you think?
2: I'm going to go to an episode that's coming up, which is called Tapestry. Yes, I had to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: love
2: that episode. So that is kind of the It's a Wonderful Life in space. space. And you, uh, Andrea, mentioned earlier about you know, wish that there was this serum that you could take so you didn't have to deal with Uh and experience all these things. Uh But this is something else that he takes into his future. He understands this. He also, for better or for worse, as a leader knows what he's sending other people into. Yes.
0: Yes. Now he does really.
2: And so whether he had had those types of experiences before or not, it was, it's a reminder. Um, The other thing that I learned is and I'm going to be just kind of heavy for a second. Not that we've not been heavy at all. Mm. With Madrid, the Cardassian uh, torturer, I would encourage people, if they have a Madrid in their life, it's probably not physical torture like that. I hope, hopefully it's not. But he's gaslighting. That is his job, is to manipulate those people. And it's important to escape from those people, or at least call yes. them out. But to get away from those types of people, um, sorry, this got really heavy. No,
1: no, this is I mean, but that's why the show is so good, because it brings out issues that apply to our everyday life. That's why this show has sticking power. The show's been off air for at the time of this recording, like over 30 years. And it's just as meaningful and relevant today as it was then, because it applies to our everyday life. And even though, God forbid, we never want to be tortured or captured or, you know, dragged into some cavern by by Cardassian spies or whatever, like we can apply having a crappy boss. We can apply having a great boss. We can apply having a good environment that supports you, that believes you when you say like somebody's disappeared through the transporter or there's a silkworm hiding in there. We can, we, even though we haven't had that experience, we can say like, oh, there's an environment where people believe me, or there's an environment where people don't. Mm -hmm. And the idea of someone being manipulative is not confined to war times. (laughs) Like this is a very real everyday experience that we all have. Even in light ways, like the like marketing or the media trying to sell us stuff, but also in really serious ways, like the people we love the most mm-hmm. who live mm-hmm. with us, who are trying to manipulate us for whatever reasons. Maybe it's to keep us safe. Maybe it's to keep them in control. Maybe it's to keep them safe. Who knows? Who cares? It's not okay. It's not okay. And yeah. episodes like this help us see why it's not okay in lenses that are so far removed from our experience that we're able to actually feel it and address it, right? Because it's not so close to like our everyday life. It's far enough for us to be like, oh, my gosh, that's totally messed up what he's doing. Wait a minute, you know, and then kind of start putting those pieces together.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I actually just saw a quote yesterday, David, that I thought of when you were speaking, because I think it's so true that... The gaslighting and manipulation is so intense, and we've all suffered gaslighting and manipulation on some level. And I think it's really important to be able to recognize and understand that because sometimes it can be this like very cloudy. You know, you hear the word abuse and you picture usually you picture like a man just beating a woman around the kitchen yeah, or something. Some it's like physical
1: abuse, something or even something, verbal,
0: something. Like, yeah, yeah, something, something like that. Violent, but, like, but abuse, something gaslighting, something abuse can, like that can be really, really subtle. And so I saw this quote, and it totally brought, you brought it to my forefront. An abuser wants to be given power, but no responsibility. They want to be special, but not singled out. They want to be left alone, but not abandoned. They need to be needed, but not relied upon. And they want to achieve, but not earn. So if any of those things sort of sound like people that you know, you know, just something to be aware of or like to keep in mind because gaslighting manipulation in relationships and any, in any like a romantic a platonic, a neighbor, anything, it can be very subtle. And sometimes it's not until much, much later that you're like, wait a minute. Hold on. Like, and I've been experiencing that in my life. And I'm like, you go along with the plan, you go along with the plan, you want to play along and be a team player. And then you're like, hold on. No, this is not okay, right? So, for those of you out there, if you know anybody like this, or if you're going through something like this, please take care of yourself and do what you need to do to be to be safe.
2: Because odds are, you're the reasonable person, and you think, well, they don't, they can't possibly be doing this, and they Mm -hmm. may not be doing it on purpose. It may just they may not have the skills to just behave. They may not, they just may not have been taught how to behave young when they were younger.
0: Oh yeah, no, absolutely.
1: My final thoughts was that this was an incredibly memorable episode and really a masterclass in storytelling. This story, this episode and the last episode combined, like if we made this, I I kept thinking like this should be a movie, except for I wouldn't want to watch this movie because it's such a bummer. (laughs) But the quality of the storytelling felt like it needed movie time. Like it needed that space to fully flesh out these ideas. And I just think this is masterful storytelling. It's layer upon layer upon layer. We get backstory about the Cardassians. We get backstory about Picard. We get it more interactions and dynamics through the crew based on seeing what it's like when everything gets all shaken up. It was just, it was amazingly done. Um, it's also really heavy and really dark, which is yeah. why I will, which is why these two episodes will never ever make it to the top of one of my read watch lists. It's a really good episode, so it'll make it to the top of a list of, like, you know, great stories or, like, really well-told stories, I should say. Yeah. But it's never going to make it on my, like, oh, I can't wait to just sit down and watch this with some popcorn. Never. Nope.
0: I, I can't wait to never watch this episode again.
1: <laughs> which <laughs> I- will after this moment. <laughs> nope.
0: I-, I need to spend the rest of the day just doing super comforting things because this one genuinely disturbed me, which is a true credit to the writing, the acting, the producing, the entire cast and crew everything that went into this to Amnesty International, opening their doors to this team and giving them this wealth of knowledge and information. is just amazing. David, as we wrap, where can, where can our listeners find you if they want to know and hear more from you?
2: My website is davidwhitevoice.com. I generally am David White Voice on most Instagrams and Facebooks and places like that. So you can, uh, you can kind of find me there.
0: Perfect. Well, we just really want to extend a huge, huge gratitude to you for not only being a guest for one episode, but for two back to back, which is tough, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot. (laughs) But um, luckily, next week, we get to wash our brains out with something like light and fun and kind of frothy and mischievous and like TNG more than like the heaviness. We are breaking down season six, episode 12, Ship in a Bottle. Thank you guys so much for these marathon weeks. We look forward to breaking this down next week. See you guys then. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com
1: to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.